there are three pieces of equipment that I think are, are every single triathlete should have at home if you're serious about your sport and getting healthy uh, or just aesthetics. Number one is a door anchor. Uh, it costs, it's for a band, it costs between eight and $12 and then bands, um, the big rubber bands. We don't want to go super heavy. Usually the, uh, half inch, one inch and one and a half inch will be more than enough for most people. And then kettlebells. That triathlon show, 183. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today's episode is part two of the two-part interview with Menachem Brody. Just a quick recap, Menachem is one of the most sought-after strength training coaches for cyclists and triathletes, or triathlon and cycling coach in general as well, but he has a special interest and specialization in in strength training in particular. Uh, but uh, as you heard in the interview last week and probably this week as well, we get into just triathlon, cycling, endurance sports in general. So it's not just about isolating strength training, but about integrating it with your triathlon or endurance sports program. Uh, so uh, let's get right into it after thanking our sponsors. And first we have Precision Hydration. And uh, Precision Hydration has a great blog. Uh, they have highlighted some of the most popular blog posts at the top of that page if you go to precisionhydration.com and then click through to the blog. And one of the things that I think is very interesting and uh, an important finding is that in their blog on sodium, they note that in a 2015 study, it was found that athletes who managed to replace the sodium that they lost in their sweat finished an Olympic distance triathlon 26 minutes faster than those who did not manage to replace that sodium adequately. So uh, go and read that blog and that will give you a better idea of, of how important sodium really is. Or listen to episode 49 of this podcast with Andy Blow, who is the founder of Precision Hydration and uh, we go into the nitty-gritty of sodium and electrolytes and their importance for performance in that episode. So check it out. And on precisionhydration.com, you can then take your free online sweat test to get uh, an idea of how much sodium you're losing in your sweat. And that will help you tailor your hydration strategy for you as an individual. Then use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Big thanks also to Roca for sponsoring that triathlon show. They are the world's leading manufacturer of wetsuits, trisuits, apparel, swim skins, goggles, buoyancy shorts, and high-performance eyewear. Check them out and take 20% off your entire order on roca.com with the promo code TTS, all caps. And that's TTS as in that triathlon show. Let's get right back into the part two of the interview with Menachem Brody. So, uh, oh, I'm really losing track here of where, where I am in, our, in my outline that you also have in front of you and, and where to go next with this. Uh, but I guess uh, one, one thing that's important to, uh, to discuss here is... Uh, assessments like knowing we have talked about it depends so many times already so, so figuring out 
what it depends on is going to be important, right? And we need to have some sort of assessment. And what would you recommend them doing for that? And is this something that the athlete can do themselves or should they see a coach like yourself that can do the, uh, the assessment in person or uh, yeah, talk about that assessment and elaborate on it? Uh, and that's so important. And I mentioned before, uh, I kind of borrowed it from Dan Swinsco, uh, physical therapist, uh, good mind. Uh, if you don't assess, it's just a guess. And here's the thing is there are times where athletes will ask me or my interns actually more frequently than not, well, why didn't you do much of assessment for them? I was like, I already did an assessment. My assessment starts when I see the person moving. Uh, and it's kind of creepy if you think about it. Cause as soon as I see you walking towards me, I'm like, what are they doing with their knees? What's going on with their feet? What's happening with their hips? Where's their head? How's their shoulder being held? Uh, you know, how are they swinging their arms? Um, for those of you at home, and, and this is why, uh, the chapter on the strength training for triathlon success on training peaks university is so in depth about the assessment. Um, I went back and forth and it was a, a struggle as to, do I want to give my assessment away? And the ultimate answer that kept coming back time after time is yes. Cause if you don't understand the assessment, if you're not learning how to assess, you're not understanding what you're actually looking for. So there's two different assessments. One, actually there's three. One is a postural assessment. I'm just going to look at you standing. How are you holding your body up? What are your strategies that your body has developed to keep you upright? Because that is, you know, as we see with the robotics, uh, Boston Robotics has done a fantastic job and kind of creepy with the robots now being able to run. Um, but essentially, uh, the strategies that you're using just to hold yourself up in place tells us uh, the baseline of what we need to begin to look for in a dynamic assessment or a movement assessment. And the movement assessment, there are two different parts. One is simply going through different movements. Now, every assessment and, and what I have in the course there is the basic assessment because uh, a lot of people are just learning. You, you get that coach's eye, understanding what you're looking for. Um, but I'm looking for how bones and joints and muscles are interacting with one another to execute said movement. So one of them is like an overhead squat with a dowel. Uh, another one is going to be a hinge or a founder's pose where you're holding yourself up for long periods of time, which is pretty uh, cyclist and triathlon specific because you're in those positions for long periods of time. And then we also have something that's a little bit more dynamic, uh, such as a single leg hip lift where we're seeing how's the body what strategy is the body putting together to figure out to fight against rotation and to execute hip extension? Is it hamstring? Is it glutes? Is it doesn't matter what it is? We're just going to try and figure it out. Um, so those would be the first two points. One is posture, uh, picture from the front, picture from the side, picture from the back, picture from the other side. Uh, one word of advice is don't do it in front of an open window. Uh, we all make that mistake. And I did that a couple times in the beginning of my career when I started working with athletes online back in 2009. And that was, yeah, just take it in front of a, a window. Uh, with the sun coming in. Well, the earth kind of rotates throughout the year. So the sunlight will hit differently and that can affect. So ideally you want to have the same spot in the house with the same lamps or lights on. So you can see the shadows the same. Um, and then after that, we would look at a weighted assessment. Now, the honest truth, Michael is, and, and for those of you at home, the weighted assessment I work with professional basketball players. I've had a, a, a smattering of professional triathletes I've worked with, um, Oftentimes we don't even do the weighted, like a, a five RM or three RM assessment the first time. The posture assessment, the movement analysis and our verbal assessment and me understanding how the athlete looks at things and their mental makeup and their mental strategies for solving problems and, and building things. 
that usually takes about two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, and the weighted, uh, the 3RM, 5RM, oftentimes we do need to do that. We do need to go through a, a 5RM for, for most professionals if they have a training age of one to three for strength training. Now, a lot of people, I can, I can hear some of you coaches at home. I hear you yelling. I hear you wanting to throw your computer against the window. Uh, but listen, the reason this is important that I don't do it is because we can see how they're moving. Yes, movement's going to change under load. We don't need a lot of weight. An eight kilo or 12 kilo kettlebell for a squat, a goblet squat, or a 20 to, to 25 or 28 kilo kettlebell for a, a hinge, a deadlift, is more than ample for most people. For those who have a training age of two to three years or who are much like myself, they're, they're micro-sensitive, and we have this with bike fitting. I learned this from bike fitting. Some people, you move their, their saddle a half a millimeter and they can feel it, and other people, you can move it a half a centimeter or a centimeter. They don't notice it. Um, the micro-adjusters and the people who have good body-mind awareness uh, will be able to go through the 5RM, 3RM. It is very important to go through a weighted assessment, a 5RM, 8RM, 10RM, whatever it may be. But we have to be smart about it. Oftentimes, the posture analysis and the movement assessment, we're going to have enough there to get us started on building better movement patterns over the next two weeks and kick off that anatomical adaptation through metabolic stress, through body weight exercises, and having the athlete make that mind-muscle connection. Uh, or as Kim King, one of my, my mentors, used to tell me, mind in the muscle, Brody, mind in the muscle. I, I promise you, if I had a quarter for every time she said that when I was interning there, I, I'd have like 500 bucks. Um, but these are the important things. After about two weeks, then we want to look at a, usually it's an 8RM, to be honest. Uh, I only have two or three athletes that have ever done three RMs and their training age for strength training is usually over four. Uh, each of them is over four years. They really know themselves. Why? Yes, it's important for us to move heavy weights, but we have to think about energy management. Uh, and that's where is, how much are we going to get out of this testing? When we put you under five RM, we're going to see stuff move. We're going to see it break down. Uh, just as much as we will for 3RM, you're not a strength athlete, you're an endurance athlete. So the 3RM is is relatively, um, in my opinion, at this point in my career, is relatively, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it, it relates well to our sport demands, whereas the 5RM, 8RM, 10RM do, because we're then seeing you know the other energy systems kick in. Uh, pure strength coaches out there uh, will want to slap me in the face and say, you have to do a 3RM. Um, but we have to think about, you know, changing the paradigm. This is what our athletes need. So the assessment can and should impact the strength training program. The ordering of your exercises is extremely important. I mentioned earlier A, B, C. There's also options for D and E, A1, A2, B1, B2. You can also do A1, 2, 3, 4. Um, this is just the ordering of the exercises. And I, I just worked with a professional basketball player here this morning with both of my interns, uh, and they saw for themselves, one of them was like, wow, the order of those exercises really helped them out. Uh, we just changed a, a little bit for them, but it allowed the body to make the mind-muscle connection so that as we went through each of the exercises, A1, A2, B1, B2, he was starting to quote-unquote function better. So it was quote-unquote functional training. Really, all we're doing is looking at the body kind of like a computer program. We're trying to program it to get the desired outcome that we want. Um, when it comes to self-assessing, you absolutely can. And that's why the uh, course has all of those movement and, and uh, uh, posture analyses in there is because you can do it on your own. And this is important. I try and encourage my athletes 
And, and this is the way I approach things. And I, I think, Michael, you know, having listened to the show uh, for the last six months and, and reading some of the stuff you have out there, I think you're, you're similar. Uh, my goal as a coach is to teach my athletes so that they can self-coach within the first four years of me working them. Ideally, I aim for three, but they decide to stay with me after year three or four because there's a lot of value at it. But they could do it completely on their own. They don't need me because they understand what the demands are, how to build their, their themselves, uh, and how to recognize their weaknesses and actually build a strategy to be able to tackle it. So it is possible to self-assess. And even if you go to a strength training coach or a, a triathlon coach who does have this as a, a part of their repertoire, you should be asking them if you can film it on your camera, on your phone, or if you can have a copy of that so you can watch it. It doesn't mean you have to. You know, most of us, we talked about time before, six hours of training week or 12 hours of training week. Most of us don't have the time, but let's be honest about it. We're out there on the road, in the water, with our own bodies. It is so important for us to at least be aware and have a physical literacy of what's going in our, our body because that will allow us to build an overall better training plan. And, and it's so important to be able to self-assess. It doesn't mean you need to see all the wrong stuff. You can just be like, that doesn't look like I think it's supposed to. Just that little bit of awareness will help you be able to run, bike, and swim faster. So yes, uh, you should be able to self-assess self with the video cameras and the quality they have now, like the Pixel 3 and the, the uh, Plus 1, whatever is out there is so great. Um, you should be able and should be doing self-assessments. And really, Michael, any exercise can be an assessment. It's just a matter of what are you looking for? Is a bicep curl going to be a good idea for strength and conditioning for a triathlete? Unless they have a major deficiency, no. Uh, is that something you want to assess? Probably not unless you have a major elbow injury. Um, so that's kind of where the, the big pieces lie or the forest is for the assessments, if you will. Let's take an example here. So what is one of the the exercises that, or, or things that you would typically assess for triathletes that you think is the most important and what is a common uh, flaw or imperfection at least that you see in, in that assessment. And if an athlete goes and does this and they do it themselves and they see this sort of flaw, how does that then impact their strength training? Uh, we'll preface it uh, as always. It depends. Uh, <laughs> You guys are getting sick of hearing that joint position dictates muscle function and it depends. So that'll be, we'll print t-shirts. We'll make, we'll make thousands of uh, pennies off of it. Um, <laughs> uh, scientific triathlon, it depends. Um, the assessments, I mean, everybody is different. Even between the two of us, Michael, we have four hips and studies have shown that there's a variance or a difference in the, the femoral neck angle or the angle of the, the, the upper leg bone coming into the hip between five and 20 degrees between our, our four hips. So my two hips and your two hips. So even in individuals, we like to think that we're completely uh, symmetrical and we're not. Uh, Julia Roberts was seen as the most beautiful woman by science for a decade and a half or so. And now there's a, a new woman in Ireland or Dublin, I believe they found uh, more specifically, who's like 98.97. And Julia Roberts is like 96.9 or something symmetric. We're not symmetric beings. So the assessment for everybody is going to be different. That being said, once we you know, kind of play the averages and, and this is science. So we have to play the averages. Um, I would go with posture. So rounded forward shoulders. So kyphotic curvature of the upper back is very common uh, across triathletes. 
in part because of our sport and how long we're on our bike. We all tend to buy our first clip-on TT bars and throw them on a road bike because that's what we can afford or we don't know any better. And we're just jacking stuff up uh, because the geometry's off. Um, and same with the fact that we sit all day. So let's say that that's a common uh, thing to look for, a common theme. Uh, so kyphotic posture where you're kind of rounding your shoulders forward, you can't really get your uh, chest up and back. Let's go with the second one being forward head posture, where you kind of feel that Adam's apple or your voice changes as I come close to the microphone here. And the third would be uh, tight hips. Uh, so poor glute recruitment. Um, the way we would look at this for triathletes, and I actually, I apologize, I forgot to mention this in assessment. This is very important. The strength training assessment also includes looking at you, how you run, how you swim, and how you bike. So we'd want to actually have you on a trainer the loved trainer, because everybody loves the trainer, uh, we wouldn't have a video from the right side, the left side, front and back. So we can see you from tip to toe to see how you're moving on the bike, to see how you're running. So we'd want to have essentially a tempo or threshold pace. Uh, Stephen McGregor at the Michigan State University, I believe it is, uh, did a number, or Eastern Michigan University rather, if I'm not mistaken, he did an, a study a number of years ago that found that runners, uh, top milers and track athletes were highly inefficient at any other pace except for their threshold pace, their race pace. So when we do that assessment, we don't want to have you run endurance. We want to try and catch you in the middle of uh, a threshold or a 5k or 3k test for running. So just filming you at endurance pace isn't going to do too much for us. It'll tell us a little bit about your posture, but not so much as the tissue qualities and what you're able to do uh, at your race speed. And then swimming, we'd want to assess you from the deck, from the side. I tell people, take the far slow lane, uh, and then you're going to, you're going to be a jerk and you're going to swim fast. Just let the other people in the, <laughs> in the lane know that you're doing, you know, fifties fast or hundreds, uh, because you're filming, because we want to have that film right next to you, uh, on the deck and someone walking ideally. Um, so when we have that with the shoulders, uh, rounded forward, the forward head posture and the hips not being active, we would look for, uh, how much movement is happening at the upper torso or the, the upper back on the bike. Are you rocking your shoulders side to side at threshold? Um, are your arms moving side to side, uh, in the TT bars? And when you're running, are you twisting your upper body too much? Are you throwing your arms in front of you to try and get momentum to move you? Or are you just kind of sinking into the ground? Uh, when it comes to swimming, we look at arm entry, rotation of the upper torso and the body together, uh, as well as looking at hand entry and shoulder position of, at hand entry into the water. Um, so those would be uh, the three things that we look for in triathletes. Ways we'd, we'd uh, treat it. It's so individual. Uh, let's go with, with common themes. Uh, number one, breathing exercises, uh, sets of five to eight. Number two would be uh, posture exercises. There's a great one called wall spinal stability, uh, which is actually very challenging. I'll see if I can dig up. I have a film from like 2008, my first uh, professional triathlete I was working with. I'll, I'll see if I can dig that up and, and send it over for you for the show notes. Um, and then there's a number of stretches. So I actually have up on the, the YouTube channel, the ADHV training YouTube channel, um, I have thoracic extension, uh, foam rolling. I have lats foam rolling, get more aero on the bike is, is what it is. Um, and 
I have chin tuck head lift, which would help a little bit with forward head posture. And then as for the hips, uh, really it comes down to finding the right number of ingredients for you. But there are three exercises that you can do that will help. It doesn't mean it's the right solution for you, but it's a, a foundation. Number one would be a McGill curl up or a McGill crunch. Uh, please do not go and, and just YouTube it. Do the one off of my YouTube or Dr. Stuart McGill. I think it's actually the University of Waterloo official channel. The McGill curl up is one of the most commonly butchered exercises uh, where people don't read it in a book and they think, oh, curl up or a crunch. I know how to do that. It's actually a very small, very difficult movement. Um, number two would be a properly executed bird dog. Um, I have a, I think it's eight minute film on the different progressions and regressions that you can do and how you should start. Um, and then the last one would be the side plank with a top foot forward or a modification of, we haven't released that yet for the, the, um, channel, but, uh, let me talk to, uh, to the, the interns and see how close we are. I can send it over to you. Um, those would be the three exercises to try and start to help build that midsection. Uh, and then we would look at a basic hip series. So a sideline straight leg lift, uh, a hip lift with the glutes being the prime mover, not the hamstring. Um, and clamshells. I know that clamshells are done to death, um, but they do serve a, an important role as long as you're not using the wrong muscles. So there's a muscle on the front of the leg called the tensor fascia latte. Uh, no, it is not the coffee muscle, as some of my athletes call it. Um, but it is a small muscle that we as triathletes tend to overuse and crank up. It's uh, the muscle that's right where your, your front pockets would be if you're wearing a, a good pair of chinos uh, or dockers, if you will. Um, so those would be the exercises that I'd recommend to help start to try and treat those, but really it's best to, to at least do an assessment, a movement assessment and figure out where you're getting the movement from. Uh, or if you're really struggling or you're actually having pain, especially sharp pain, numbness, tingling, loss of sensation, go see a physical therapist or a certified and experienced strength and conditioning coach. Um, but just bear in mind, just because someone's a triathlete does not mean that they have the skill set that you need. They may be able to relate to you uh, in your sport, but I've seen a number of, of therapists that were kind of blind uh, to what they didn't know because oh, I'm a triathlete. I understand what goes on. Um, and it's more so the fact that they've lost that zest to learn uh, and they think they have it all figured out. And that's something I think that's important across coaching. Um, if your coach sometimes doesn't say, I don't know, or that's a good question, uh, let me think about it that's a little bit of a yellow flag. Um, we don't always have the answers. Some coaches, it's an ego thing where they always want to have an answer, but uh, you want someone that's constantly learning, constantly growing, such as Michael is here. Um, the, that's kind of the thoughts. Now I'm going down, down another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we have, we have plenty of, of loose friends here to, to tie up before we end. So, so let's do that. But I, I will add for assessments here that I did uh, this winter, I actually started, yeah, I started in November. I think I, I did, uh, take uh, a, a personal training so so went to a, a personal trainer who was very knowledgeable among every um, for, for most of all sorry he had been working with uh, with track athletes but uh, but really knowledgeable in in movement and and helped me a lot like assessed me and and I had two of those issues that you mentioned like my glutes weren't really firing properly and and also those rounded forward rounded shoulders problems opening up my chest properly so i worked with him for a couple of months with strength training and uh, and it did feel really good i stopped that mostly because of time management like the commute really took out too much of my training time so 
uh, it, uh, in, in an ideal world, I would like to continue, but I learned a lot. So I think that's something that uh, I think the listeners can consider as well, that it's, it's a good investment. You learn a lot, just like you said, uh, that uh, we want our athletes to learn throughout the coaching process how to become better at coaching themselves. This is what I did for myself as an athlete, as uh, learning more about strength training and assessing myself by seeking out like somebody who is a real expert at looking at people in the flesh and seeing what they're doing with their movement and and correcting based on those assessments and giving giving exercises. So I learned a lot through that, and I think that that's an investment that uh, that listeners can consider making i at least thought that it was very worthwhile to do that yeah it, it is and and it is an investment like you said you take some of the time out of uh your your training and and it does hurt like we have to think about the timing like if you're eight weeks out from your peak race uh if you're having major issues yeah go ahead and and, and spend that time but we need to be careful with that one thing i do want to add with that is that there are trainers uh, who have enough in-person experience that they can be effective online. Um, I'm very wary, and I would recommend to the the listeners, be very, very wary of a coach who's saying that they've done strength training with people. If they don't have more than five years working at least, uh, you know, with at least uh, 10 hours a week of people in person, my suggestion is, you know, if the price point is okay, go with it. But if you want to train online, you really need to have a lot of experience in person because there's nothing, there's nothing like actually being there and troubleshooting with someone. And there's a lot uh, that can be learned by actually being able to touch, feel, uh, and interact with someone directly. So just a, a word of advice. We're seeing a massive growth right now of online uh, trainers who haven't trained anybody in person. And we just want to be aware of that. Um, I, I do think that there's a high value in that in-person uh, skill set. Yeah, yeah, there is absolutely. Uh, so let's go back a little bit to the programming side of things. And, and if we talk a little bit about, we have alluded to this on many occasions already, but the annual planning of strength training, you've talked about base, build one, build two, et cetera, and, uh, and how the, the time commitment to strength training changes. But let's talk a little bit more about the type of strength training and, and how that potentially might change. And we can go back to those two examples with the, uh, the, the couple, the 12 hour and six hour athletes and, and how, what type of strength training they might be doing in those different uh, phases of the season. So there's, there's a lot. Um, let's just say this yoga, Pilates, kettlebells, bands, TRX, barbells, dumbbells. The answer is yes. The important thing is you have to think about what are the qualities of the tissue and, and you as a person and your muscles that you're building. If you tend to be very stiff and inflexible, yoga may work for you or it may work against you. Uh, Pilates, if you have a lot of lower back pain, it can help, but it can hurt. It's a matter of trying different things and finding what works for you. But we can agree. And what the, the research does show is that you do need overload. So TRX can work fantastically up until a point. There will come a point where you will need kettlebells or bands or dumbbells or barbells in order to overload the system enough to actually see real strength gains. Now, that isn't to say that calisthenics are not important and they don't work. That is not what I'm saying. I want to be very crystal clear about that. What I am saying is that in order to get to that point, what you don't see, what that gymnast is doing, and I'll see if I can find a, a video that was posted uh, yesterday or this weekend by another coach. The gymnasts are working with weights and bands to overload the system enough so they can go and do these calisthenics and gymnastics at amazing levels. 
but you have to have that at overload. So that being said, working into the overall training plan, it really depends on who you are, your training age, your your age, your goals, your distance. Now, I'm going to put myself out on, on a, a maybe it's a stake here, so people can flamethrower or, or throw water and, and put other fires out. But I like to break triathletes down into three different parts. And and for those who know me, I'm the furthest thing from an elitist. I'm the, I'm very very uh, Neapolitan, if you will. You know, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. There's something for everybody. But we have to be realistic about triathlon. There are three different levels of athletes. One is those who are going out just to complete it. And the way the human body is made, if you feed and water us for for enough as we go along, we can go for long periods of time. So if you're just going to Ironman to finish in the time cutoff, you are a triathlete. However, we need to look at your training in relation to that goal. So that's number one is your training to finish. And for a lot of people who just finished half Ironman, Ironman, Olympic triathlon, and sprints, I'm not taking anything away from you. That's a hell of an accomplishment just to finish it. The second is going to be those who are going to, they want to have a specific time. Maybe they're not competing for a podium in their age group or, or their full uh, overall uh, uh, level, but they're going, they have a specific goal. They're, they're pushing their bodies. They are athletes training and you're working a full-time job doing other stuff. And then we have those who are looking for podiums, either in age group or overalls. If we bin people down from there, that's going to help us decide what does the overall training plan look. If you're going to just finish your triathlon, I would encourage you. Most people in your shoes need strength training 30 minutes a day, at least 30 minutes a day, four days a week, because you're training to finish. That means that you're pushing your body to do things that it hasn't done before. You're looking to have this massive accomplishment. Maybe you're looking for a body composition change. You want to look better in the mirror. You want to be able to say that you finished it. But we also want you to be able to walk, run, and swim, and bike for the next 20, 30, 40 years. We don't want to finish it. And this is my little uh, soapbox, if you will. You don't want to finish an Ironman and then not be able to run again because you ran through shin splints and your knees destroyed, and now you have to have reconstructive knee surgery. We don't want that. We want you to come join our sport, enjoy our sport for the next 10, 15, 30, 40 years. So the strength training done consistently is really important. And if you're going to just finish, and I don't mean just finish, I mean, if you're going to finish and that's your goal, those small 30 minute sessions focusing on pull, hinge, press, and then doing push and squat and rotary stability are going to significantly help you be able to finish stronger and recover faster. So that would stay the same throughout the year, 30 minutes, three to four days a week, focusing on those uh, five plus one fundamental five plus one movements, push, pull, squat, hinge, press, and rotary stability. If you're looking for a PR, then we're going to start to build it into your training program a bit more. We're going to look at the periodization, just like our sample athletes here. We're going to look during base. We're going to look between three and five hours. I generally do not like to have half Ironman or Ironman athletes in the, the gym longer than four hours a week. I think that that's taking away from your sport. And you have, again, the four pillars, hormonal, metabolic, cardiorespiratory, neuromuscular. Yes, neuromuscular is part of it. So is metabolic. But the cardiorespiratory and, and hormonal are affected by everything you're going to do. 
So we need to start looking at periodization a little bit more. Uh, we're going to look at three to four hours in the gym for the half Ironman and Ironman uh, throughout base. If you're Olympic, and again, it depends on your, your training time. If you're Olympic or sprint, uh, we may cut that down to three days a week of 45 minutes, but we do want to do it consistently. And that will stay roughly the same up till the end of base. Build one. It depends on where you are and what you're looking to, to increase as far as your in-sport capabilities. But usually we'll take you down to about two and a half to three hours a week uh, total, but it can be chopped up into half hour segments or one hour, depending on what your personal schedule is. Uh, as you get into to, uh, closer to taper, we cut down. Some athletes will be one hour once a week. Some athletes will be 40 minutes once a week, but moving heavy things and really focusing in on the movements that they need to get stronger at. Whereas other athletes, we may have them do 15 to 20 minutes uh, after a bike or a swim, depending on where their strength training facilities are. Now, as we spoke before, Michael, that's going to depend on the, the physiological adaptations the athlete needs. So if they're more advanced and we're going to tap into that glycolytic energy system, we may not do it immediately after uh, a bike uh, or a run or a swim that's at that endurance level or whatever we're trying to evoke. And this is where the research is coming out showing that it can interfere with those adaptations, but it also depends, you know, what's the bigger picture? Yes, we're going to sacrifice a little bit of your adaptations from your bikes, but we're also going to make you more injury resilient or stronger. So you'll be a better runner. And, and that's a very individual thing, individualized thing. Um, and really what it, it looks like is the, the load and stress that's caused by, by the strengthening part, not the conditioning part. It can actually be a little bit of recovery uh, from your in sport. And I just posted a blog post uh, last week, I think it was, or the week before on this, that strength training can actually help you mitigate some of the issues that you're going to cause from doing the repetitive cycling and running uh, and swimming. So it can actually help you because it's a different type of training stimulus. So it can decrease the training stress, or if you're going in the gym and doing explosive or like Metcons, if you're doing the endurance style uh, Metcons or, or CrossFit style, you're going to increase your training stress. So if you're doing strength training and you're doing it with timed rest periods, very specific or dialed in uh, sets and repetitions, you can actually see a recovery aspect in your performance by doing your strength training. Uh, it's also nice during the long base miles to actually head into the strength training uh, sessions. It gives you a break, especially in the Northeast or anywhere that snows. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with Pittsburgh in the Northeast US. So when it's cold and snowy, people really look forward to the strength training sessions. They're like, I can't stand looking at my trainer anymore. I can't stand the treadmill anymore. So it gives them that break. Um, but those are, those are the big building blocks, if you will. Does that, do we want to dive deeper into that or is that uh, uh, enough uh, detail for? I, I guess if we can just touch on when, just br very briefly summarize, when would you be doing like hypertrophy, more maximum strength, uh, anatomical adaptation and uh, more just maintaining and, and those sorts of aspects of strength training, I guess, in, in the strength part specifically. And, and then, so, so if we can just sum, summarize that briefly. So really the, the answer is, uh, it depends on where you are in the season, but everybody needs to go through anatomical adaptation. So anatomical adaptation is anywhere from two to eight weeks. And this is low to no load. Uh, usually with triathletes, I'm going to start with bodyweight exercises, but we, we do look for the positioning. So there's a lot of uh, technique coaching in that time, getting you to make the connection with the right muscles, uh, especially as you break down. And we'll go more for metabolic load, meaning that you're going to go 
uh, body weight exercises. The first two weeks, I generally stay out of any type of burn uh, or any type of uh, muscle fatigue just because the connective tissue takes lots of time to build up. Um, so we just want to stimulate it enough that you can recover, come back and do it again tomorrow. Uh, after anatomical adaptation, we have to go through, in my opinion, at this point in my career here in 2019, at least a four to six week hypertrophy phase. Now, some of you are going to freak out and say, wait a minute, Coach Brody, you said that bodybuilding is not the way to do it. Well, there's two different types of hypertrophy. And, and we talk about this in the Strength Training for Cycling Success course. There's sarcolemic hypertrophy, which is the space around the actual uh, contractile tissues. That's what bodybuilders want. They want more full, supple muscles. And we have myrofibrillar hypertrophy, and that's the actual contractile part of the muscle. And this is where triathletes and athletes, uh, endurance athletes as a whole, look at the scale and go, oh, I went up a, a, a kilo. Oh my gosh. Yes, but your power numbers on the bike have also come up, your times for your run have dropped and your swim times have dropped. So it's okay. Um, you are going to put on a little bit of weight. Uh, most beginner strength training athletes, when you do a proper strength training program, when we hit the muscular hypertrophy, if you're eating, sleeping, recovering, and training properly and well and following a well-designed training program, we can see as much as a two and a half kilo increase in body weight. However, your relative watts per kilo for the bike should be coming up. Your runtime should be dropping down or getting easier to maintain. Uh, and we should see your swim times. Well, swim times depend a lot on technique. So I, I don't like to give a too much there. Um, once we go through, meaning as far as I don't know what your results will be, maybe you'll slow down. We don't know, but focus on technique, but you should generally see your swim times come down if your technique is being worked on as well, uh, just because you're producing better, more power and, and better inter and intramuscular coordination. After the uh, hypertrophy, uh, four to six weeks, depending on, on where you are as an athlete, we'll either continue muscular hypertrophy uh, or we'll go into max strength development. And this is important. That differentiation for beginner athletes, the max strength, in my opinion, we don't necessarily need to go there for long distance triathletes. If you're half iron or iron, I generally, if you're just starting now, like let's say April, you're starting for your strength training program. We generally won't go there um, just because of where you are in the season, but we will get to heavier weights. But this is a, a point of contention or a, a, not contention, but an important point that most people may, oh my gosh, most of your, your strength training sessions should be fives, sixes, and sevens on a scale of one to 10. We should not be crawling out of our strength training sessions. The goal for strength training, the minimum amount of work that you need to, to do, uh, I do a volume-based approach. So total amount of weight moved, including your warm-up sets, uh, the minimum amount of weight that you need to do in order to see the results that we want. So most of the time you should walk out of the gym, you should say, oh, I could have done another set of each of the exercises. But when I was working, it felt like a six or a seven where it was just starting to get heavy. That's okay. We are not powerlifting athletes. We're not Olympic athletes, Olympic lifting athletes. We are Olympic, Olympic athletes, but we're not Olympic lifters. So we don't need those eight, nines and tens. So stay away from that. And that's a big mistake. A lot of triathletes make is they go just as hard for the strength training as they do for their swim bike run. Um, lastly, after the max strength and the max strength can last anywhere from six to 12 weeks, depending on the athlete, on uh, the recovery and their abilities and their focus for that year's training plan. We'll go into uh, what I like to call sport specificity. 
So then we're taking you, we'll give you specific workouts that are going to challenge the neuromuscular system, which may mean an overpaced uh, time trial, or it may be an overgeared time trial, or it may mean, you know, uh, Doc Sutton just had a post a couple of weeks ago about big ring riding for the bike and how that is bike strength, but really it's neuromuscular intra and intramuscular coordination. We might do that. Um, and then the lastly, we would go, I don't like doing maintenance too long, quote unquote, but that will generally be in taper where you're in the gym, either a half hour, 45 minutes, or maybe one time a week for an hour. Uh, so two times 30 to 45 minutes with heavy weights, uh, but you're in and out. Like you, you come in, you do your dynamic warm up. We do the two to three things that you need to do to continue to perform as you do. And then you're out. That's it. Um, so that would be how I would structure the overall training plan. What would the rep ranges be for uh, for anatomical adaptation, for hypertrophy, for the heavy strength, and then for the max strength? Uh, as always, it depends. In general, uh, anatomical adaptations uh, are going to depend at the beginning based upon the mind-muscle connection. So an athlete who is new and struggling to do a movement, we might start off with three sets of three. Uh, for a movement, but move as quickly as that athlete can, getting the muscles to be recruited and fired in the right order, um, up to three sets of 15 to 20, maybe even 30. For a more intermediate to advanced athlete who has that mind-muscle connection is able to, to keep good form, we might start off at three sets of 18 and work ourselves up to two sets of, of 40 or 50, um, depending on where they are. Uh, for hypertrophy, Anywhere from sets of five all the way up to sets of 15, depending on what structural adaptations the athlete needs. Do they need to build uh, myofibrillar strength? Okay, so we're going to stay a little bit more, or, or suppleness, we'll stay a little bit more in the five to eight range because those will be a little bit heavier. Um, and that's where I tend to play with most triathletes is in the five to 10 range. And then 10 to 15 will generally be, we need to focus on the energy systems a little bit more or the ability for that muscle to, to maintain strength under some fatigue uh, just because of the volume that person can, can accrue at that or if they need a lot of connective tissue strength. So if someone's coming to me, they've done a lot of yoga and they're too lax, I might have them do sets of 15 in hypertrophy, three sets of 15 uh, to allow them to build that stiffness in those tendons and, and, and in that joint to be able to actually produce power, especially for running. Um, when we come to max strength, uh, never ever have anybody do singles. I don't, I just, I don't think it's, it's smart. I don't think it's safe. Uh, and I say never ever, and I can always, already think of one exception, but those singles were at 90% of estimated one RM, not 95 or 99. Um, so rarely a, a real one RM or, or three by one at a super heavy weight. Uh, it's technically challenging and the max strength, usually I'll do sets between two and four repetitions. And that could be anywhere from two sets all the way up to seven, uh, we may do. And then when it comes to uh, specificity in sport, it really depends on the athlete and what tissue qualities we need for them. Mm. Great. A couple more questions uh, before we wrap up. And the first one is uh, a very common one and, and one that, yeah, that I've answered a lot of times, but I'm curious to hear your take on it because it's not, uh, in my opinion, very black and white what the answer is. It, uh, it is about the order of workouts, strength and endurance like when you do them separately but on the same day and perhaps for some athletes you might have to do them uh, after consecutively after each other in, and in that case should you choose to do endurance first and strength second i know at the beginning of the interview you mentioned uh, in some cases you want to do the strength training first i think you said 
Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, how does uh, yeah? Uh, what are the factors you consider here when when thinking about the ordering of strength and endurance work? I think the terminology you just used is fantastic. What what are the considerations? Because there's no black and white. When you read the research articles, I mean, it's, it goes both ways. And, and when you really read the research articles and break down this statistical analysis and how they broke things down, it really, it, it goes both ways. It's so independent and individual. That's why the research is, is out. It depends on the individual. My general rule that I've been following for the last five and a half years, the first thing is going to be what we want the, the major adaptation of the body to be. So, Usually in base, it'll be strength first. However, like we have our six-hour athlete, our, our male, uh, our husband here, uh, we may have to do our endurance first and our strength after. Um, the exception being if someone has postural issues or has major uh, mind-muscle connection issues, especially getting off the bike, because that's we all know how awesome T2 is and those jelly legs when you get off the bike um, – I like to use a little bit of strength training exercises in that that those practice brick sessions in February, March, April, May. So we'll do bird dogs, side uh, side planks, front uh, top foot forward, and McGill curl ups, um, and then maybe uh, a set or two of deadlifts and the ten to fifteen rep range to get those the postural muscles firing, and then out the door for the run. Um, for the most part, uh, I just tell the athlete uh, unless I'm looking for something specific what do you feel better with? Like, do you feel better getting off the bike and doing strength or do you feel doing strength and getting on the bike better? So I really try and dial into what that athlete feels work for them. Unless I'm looking for that specific bike to run transition. Usually with the swim, I try not to do lifting after the swimming. Um, I don't really have a reason for it. I just found that athletes, you know, by the time you get out of the pool and you shower, the last thing you want to do is go into the gym and, and put on gym clothes and then sweat again. Um, so I don't have a real reason for that, but uh, it depends on the athlete, what they find best. Uh, my rule is generally, what's the number one adaptation I'm after? That's what we're going to do first. Yeah, yeah. I also use that rule and uh, and also the logistics. Like the the best training is the training that gets done at the end of the day. So so if logistics <laughs> are is limiting an athlete from doing it in a certain order, I would just tell the athlete to do it in whatever order they can get it done and be fine with it because the. Uh, it's more marginal when we're talking about the ordering rather than just getting the things done that we want to get done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and the other question that I wanted to get into as well was, uh, oh, I, I already forgot it. Um, it was, uh, let me look here through my notes. Oh, this, uh, my, my memory is, is getting so poor. Um, well, we've, we've covered a lot. <laughs> based the home base. Uh, strength training. So are there certain types of equipment you mentioned, the rowing, anchoring for the door uh, on Amazon? Are there any other things that you would really recommend that athletes uh, get uh, purchased for them for being able to do a good and effective strength training at home? Yes, uh, that is a fantastic question. You got some really good questions, Michael. <laughs> um, so number one, and I actually have a piece coming out on Training Peaks uh, blog, I think this week or next week on strength training at home for triathletes. Uh, there are three pieces of equipment that I think are, are every single triathlete should have at home if you're serious about your sport and getting healthy uh, or just aesthetics. Number one is a door anchor. Uh, it costs, it's for a band, it costs between eight and $12 and then bands. 
um, the big rubber bands. We don't want to go super heavy. Usually the uh, half inch, one inch, and one and a half inch will be more than enough for most people. And then kettlebells. Uh, these three pieces of equipment, kettlebells, I recommend for beginner uh, strength training athletes to start off with an eight and a 12 kilo kettlebell. And those who are intermediate to advanced to start off with a 12 and 20 uh, for the females or 12 and 24 or, or, or beginning males. And then the 12 and 24 for the advanced athletes. These three pieces of equipment, really four or five, if we count each individual band, take up no more space in your house to store than two pairs of shoes, which makes it easy to store even if you live in London, specific example. Um, you can add in the TRX if you want, but really between the bands and the kettlebells, you're able to do a full body exercise uh, routine as well as train power, strength, and endurance all at the same time, uh, which I don't recommend. But if you really wanted to, you can do each of those with just these three pieces of, of uh, simple pieces of equipment. So uh, you don't really need much else than that. Uh, a lot of trainers at the beginning feel like they have to have an incline and decline bench where you can change stuff. It's nice to have, but it's not necessary. Uh, between push-up variations, uh, push and pull variations with the bands, as well as pressing and kettlebell swings and kettlebell uh, cleans and snatches, uh, goblet squats, there's so much you can do with those three pieces of equipment. So that those are the minimum I would recommend. And nowadays, kettlebells are far cheaper than when I first started recommending them. It used to be $180 for an eight kilo kettlebell when I first started recommending them. Um, so it's far cheaper. Under 200 bucks, you have a home gym. If you don't have that much, if you're, if you're training on a budget, which most of us are, uh, get the half inch and one inch band, the door anchor, and then the lighter of the two kettlebells and start with that. And that should get you started for about a hundred to $120, just depending on shipping. Fantastic. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Do you have any, any blog posts or YouTube videos where you, uh, where you sort of like, uh, summarize the home-based training or is it spread across different resources? Uh, it's spread across different resources right now, but I actually, uh, we just finished editing a video we shot with a home-based uh, circuit workout with just a kettlebell and body weight, just yourself. Um, but we are going to do recording next week. Uh, hopefully one of the interns will be up for some punishment because uh, as we mentioned before, I tore my meniscus in MCL a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm on the repair, but, uh, there are a number of resources on the HV training YouTube channel. Um, and I'll send you over the link, uh, as soon as that other, uh, video is, is up so people can see what it would look like. Perfect. And, and that brings me to one final question that I just thought of, uh, because we have been talking about a lot. We'll need to break this episode into two, I believe two parts, uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, to make it easy to, of course, I'll have the show notes on uh, on scientifictriathlon.com, but do you have any any resources that you would recommend the listeners go and consume on uh, your channels, your website or, or YouTube channel for, I guess, summarizing the, the main principles of strength training that you would really like the listeners to take away? You have the course on Training Peaks University, which is great, that we've mentioned that I'm taking right now. Uh, do you have any other free resources or anything that you want to, to mention that, that listeners should go and check out? Absolutely. Um, and, and thank you for mentioning the course as well. Uh, I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm one of those people that I like to give 90% away for free because uh, I don't believe in putting stuff behind a gate. I think it's important to get people actionable things that they can do. Uh, it drives me crazy when someone gives you a little piece of it and something and then it's like a million dollars and you're like, man, I can never afford that. So the, the YouTube channel, and, and this is, uh, the word will get out fast, I guess. The YouTube channel, I try and release stuff. 
uh, that's relevant for the time of year for cyclists and triathletes. So uh, this week, the video is going to be a podcast with Tony Gentlecore I did, and next week is going to be the Kettlebell Overhead Press. So the HV Training YouTube channel, uh, I try, like if you're paying attention, you'll see like each week you're like, oh, that's really relevant to what I'm doing right now for Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Australia, I'm coming for you guys. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, but the YouTube channel has a lot of stuff. I'm getting better about blogging on my site. I've been doing a lot for Training Peaks and a couple other websites, Pez Cycling News. Uh, but I'm really trying to build my website uh, blog so that people can come and say, this is a common question I have this time of year. And they can come and look back in the spring, the fall, the winter and find that answer. So those would be uh, the two places that I would recommend, the YouTube channel and, and the blog. Perfect. Okay. And everything will be linked in the show notes, uh, the videos that uh, you can think of that we talked about. So if we can think of all of, the, all of them, then we'll have those links and, and of course, your, your channels, your social profiles, etc., so that listeners can go and check it out. Let's wrap it up with the rapid fire questions that I ask all guests and you are more than familiar with them, I assume. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon and sports or strength training? Oh, uh, so as it relates to triathlon is actually, uh, there's one, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Oh, geez. Navy SEAL mental toughness. Uh, for, I, I know people are like, what? Mental toughness? Like that's such an under trained part of our bodies, but that's where everything is. So, uh, Navy SEAL mental toughness, I believe it's called. I'll send you over, uh, the actual name when we're done here, but that's my favorite, favorite book. I keep on coming back to that and super training by Verkashanti and Sif, but I'm a huge nerd when it comes to that stuff. Um, for others out there, I'd say Back Mechanic by Dr. Stuart McGill. That can really help bring up your ability to help your body stay healthy and move. Uh, but those would be my favorite ones, uh, off the top of my head. The, the Navy SEAL I'm Googling right now, I think there is a book called something like Training with the Seals or Living with the Seals. Is that the one or is it a different one? It no, no. Okay. Different. Um, I'll, I'll look at my Kindle here and, and see. But yeah, it's it's a different one. I know which one you're talking about. That one's also really good. Um, but the one I'm talking about is, uh, let's see, Library, uh, Navy SEAL. Yeah, the one that, that I'm, the one that I'm talking about is called Living with a Seal. Uh, so yeah, that's it's not doesn't have. Oh, here I see it. I see a, a Google image. Navy Seal training guide, mental toughness. Navy Seal strategies for mental toughness and self confidence by Lars uh, Drager. Yep, that's it. Okay, uh, perfect. And super training has been mentioned at least once before. So that's actually one that I'm definitely eager to check out. Uh, next, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? My bed. <laughs> Recovery, man. That's a good one. That's a very good one. <laughs> Finally, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? I really wish that I, I would have uh, started. Uh, instead of like when I started, I was just so based on the research. Show me the research and then we'll do it. I wish I would have started sooner. Uh, when I came to the conclusion, one of my mentors said to me, where do you think they get the ideas for the, the research? They go to the top coaches and those in the best in the field, see what they're doing and then figure out how it works. I wish I would have done that earlier because uh, that's when that and learning how to actually read research articles. So just because the P is less than 0.05, 
or greater than 0.05, let's say, doesn't mean it's irrelevant. It just means it didn't work for all that sample size. So those would be the two things I wish I had known earlier. Go find and learn from the best coaches and, and those in the best in the field and actually go through and read the research articles, not just the, um, the, the uh, short version of it, the abstract, but actually look at how they break down statistics. Uh, what were the outcomes for what percentage of the people? Uh, and then try and figure out common themes and, and what worked and, and why. And then, you know, try it. Jason Coop, who is a fantastic coach, he's director of coaching at Carmichael Training Systems and also is a fast guest on the show. He had a, a recent uh, blog article on uh, the CTS Carmichael Training Systems website about how coaching is. He had a, a chart where on the x-axis they had, uh, I guess, best practices, and that is a combination of both research but also the anecdotal evidence from the best coaches and then on the y-axis you had uh, the individual and and how great coaching and great training it needs to take both into account so it's basically a, a straight line that uh, a 45 degree line that uh, that goes from the bottom left up to the uh, to the top right on that chart and taking into account both the best practices research and anecdotal practices as well as that individual so so you also have to take that both the anecdotal and research evidence and then apply it to the individual of course so so not everything even though 90% of people maybe have gotten a response from an intervention if this individual does not get a response then that doesn't mean that you should do that. It's uh, clearly not working. So yeah, I really like that answer. And that was a long, long winded way of saying that. <laughs> no, but, but that's the truth is it's an art and a science and we've all made the mistakes and that's how we learn is the mistakes. And, you know, we stand on the shoulders of the giants before us. And that's, what's great about the, the, uh, the blogs and, and the uh, shows that you have is that it's, it's, you're constantly questioning. It's not like, oh, well, this guest said something and we're just going to go with that. It's like, well, what do you think about this? It's just getting the different views and opinions. And that's something I, I really enjoy personally uh, from your your podcast is just it's uh, constantly asking and learning and, and different vantage points. You know, they're all right. Which one works best? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, this has been really, really great. And uh, yeah, that's why we've been talking for so long. So I hope that the, the listeners will, will find a lot of value in it. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your knowledge about strength training for triathletes today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. So there you go. I hope that you have enjoyed this interview these two episodes and uh, if you there is a lot of information and you think that you uh, cannot possibly remember everything don't worry just go to that show.com we have the show notes there so just click through to these two episodes and you can find everything taken care of and a uh, big shout out here to uh, to samantha who does the show notes by the way i should should thank her publicly more often because she does a really great job with uh, with making the show notes so if you're somebody who regularly goes and visits those show notes send send her some gratitude as well because uh, she she's definitely worth it and uh, one of the things that you'll find in this episode just as in last week's or in this week's show notes is a resource list put together by Coach Brody, which consists of things like things like videos of uh, exercises that you should absolutely be be doing as a as an endurance athlete, or assess whether you're able to do them, and so on and so forth. So definitely worth checking that out. 
Uh, we'll also, of course, link to all the related strength training episodes. And uh, as I mentioned, you can find them in through the menu as well on scientifictriathlon.com. So just go to more popular topics and strength training to get that full strength training archive. Uh, check out Menachem on the Human Vortex Training website and YouTube channel and check out his podcast, the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. And as mentioned, in June sometime, there will be an episode with me as the guest on that podcast. So so keep a lookout for that. And uh, in the meantime, if you are interested in taking your strength training to the next level, I highly recommend checking out Menachem's course, Strength Training for Triathlon Success, that you can find on Training Peaks University. And of course, check out his products and services on, on his website, Human Vortex Training as well. But I'm personally taking the Strength Training for Triathlon Success right now, and I can vouch for it. It is a very, very good. So I'll link to that in, uh, in the show notes and the episode description as well. Uh, another great resource that I'm uh, even more intimately familiar with uh, is uh, my own strength training plan that you can find under training plans on scientifictriathlon.com. Uh, it's uh, been used now by over 300 triathletes, cyclists, and runners. And there's been so much great feedback, both on direct performance and on injury prevention. So if you're interested in that, check it out as well. And uh, by the way, all my training plans have money-back guarantees. If you're not happy, you get your money back. Simple as that. Big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Get your wetsuit, eyewear, swim skin, buoyancy shorts, tri suits, etc. there because they are the leading manufacturer in these areas. And they stop at nothing to make you faster and find your ultimate performance. You can use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your order. And thanks to Precision Hydration on precisionhydration.com. Use the promo code That's Triathlon Show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.